Well, good morning. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of sharing with you this morning. This is the third sermon in the Mastermind series. Uh, in the first sermon, we heard Jim talk about winning the war in your mind, how we go about winning the war in your mind. Last week, we talked about training your mind with the idea of this quote kind of as an over, uh, over thing of the entire series, if you'll bring that quote up. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. We heard Jim use some big words in the last couple of weeks. One of them was neuroplasticity. And uh, honestly, those are a little bit over my head sometimes. But uh, what that talks about, that neuroplasticity talks about, is the ability to change the pathways in your mind by changing your thought patterns. And basically what, in my mind, that is, is science finally catching up uh, to God's word that talks about our ability through the, the power of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, uh, to change our thinking, to change our thought process. And, and uh, in my simple terms, it, it just talks about thinking different. We have the ability to think different. And we also looked over the past couple of weeks at uh, a verse out of 2 Corinthians that says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this scripture tells us that we've been equipped We've been equipped by God's Spirit to have victory over wrong thinking, that we can win the battle in our mind, and we can take, take captive those wrong and destructive thoughts that come into our mind. We can rewrite those thoughts to ones that affirm God's truth. We can rewrite and, 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 and change our thinking to come into alignment with God's word and God's will. Another quote says this, the life that you have is a reflection of the thoughts you have. The life that you have is a reflection of the thoughts you have. Most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. And that comes down to this. If we can't control our thoughts, we can't control our actions. If we can't control our thoughts, we can't control our actions. The, the, sermon, of, the sermon title for this morning is Reframing. Reframing, And we have a definition for that. Uh, it says, creating a different way of looking at a situation, person, or relationship by changing its meaning. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. So you can't control a lot of times the things that happen in your life, but you can control how you frame it, what your perspective is on that. Uh, little Johnny, and you know this is a joke since little Johnny... Uh, little Johnny was seen going into the backyard and very confidently proclaiming, I'm the best hitter in the world. He had a baseball bat and a ball, and he was throwing it up in the air. I'm the best hitter in the world. So he walked into the backyard. He took a look at where he perceived the ball going. He threw the ball in the air, and he took a big swing at the ball and missed. He said, that's okay. Even the best hitter in the world misses a pitch every now and then. So he rubbed his hands together, got ready for the second one. He threw the ball in the air. He took another giant swing at the ball and again minced. He said quickly and confidently, that's okay. 
Even the best hitter in the world can have two strikes on him. So he spits in his hands, he rubs them together, he gets the feel for the bat, he throws the ball in the air for the third time, and he takes another giant swing and whiffs for a third time. And quickly and confidently, he said, wow, not only am I the best hitter in the world, but I'm the best pitcher too. I just struck out the best hitter in the world. Reframing, reframing the thought process, confidently and securely, changing his thinking on the whole process. I'm going to share a story now about reframing in my own life. And it's interesting, and I actually appreciate the way, well, I don't always appreciate it, let me be honest, I don't always appreciate it, but many times, especially in a Sunday sermon, um, when I've spent, I mean, this sermon has been on my schedule for at least six or eight weeks, so I've been thinking through things. And a lot of times, in fact, for the last several years, one of these sermons comes up, God brings a very real illustration into my own life that's very personal about what I'm going to be teaching about. And I'm going to be teaching about reframing today. So let me give you a little back history. Um, A little over 16 years ago, Karen and I lost our son Chris to cancer. A three-year battle with cancer, and, and he passed away on July 26, 2003. And, and so that's a little background to kind of set the stage for the story that I want to share with you about me having to reframe. Three weeks ago, um, Karen and I received a call from our, our daughter in Phoenix saying, uh, I was having some stomach problems, and I, I uh, went to the doctor, um, and they did an ultrasound. And... Uh, unrelated to the symptoms I was having, they found a, a mass in my kidney. And the doctor scheduled me first thing in the morning for a CT scan. So we begin to pray and uh, I will admit, rehearse in my mind maybe some of the things that I thought was happening. Friday morning, she had her CAT scan. They quickly called her and said, we can tell 99 plus percent that the mass that you have in your Kidney is cancer. We can tell the way it presents and where it is that it's, that it's highly likelihood that it's uh, a cancer. So, um, we had a history. I could look back. And I will tell you, and I will admit, even though you might think, oh, pastors aren't supposed to doubt. I spent some time, it was brief, I spent some time saying, God, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. I can't do this again. I cannot lose another child. I just can't do this. Well, (laughs) quickly, because of a lot of the things we're going to talk about today, I was able to reframe that. Because part and part of the part of the, the story, to, to be honest with you, is that is that along with that diagnosis, they said, you know, most most of the time, th- and, and we don't see anything else anywhere. And most of the time, that type of that type of kidney cancer is just located in the kidney, and and so we're going to take that kidney out, and she's still got a good functioning kidney, and so we don't think there'll even be any follow up with chemo or anything like that. So, so that was good news. But I was able to reframe it in a way that at least brought some encouragement of, okay, I know that God is good. God was faithful to us through 
our, with our, through the thing, issue that we went with, with our son. And he showed himself strong and he showed himself good. And he brought so much good out of that. My son was a, was a believer and, and, and so I was able to say, not only rejoice in the fact that, hey, he's, he's in heaven with, with the Lord Jesus Christ and he's celebrating as we went through that. And so I was able to reframe things with what was going on in my daughter's life. But it took some time because I started, I started honestly for a short amount of time I went to a little bit of a dark place. I was framing the situation of, wow, this is horrible. I'm going to have to go through this again. Very quickly, I was able to reframe, though, to, you know what? God is good. God is faithful. He can handle this. He's got something for her in this, and he's got something for the rest of the family in this situation. So I was able to, to reframe that. Uh, she, my daughter did have her kidney removed on Thursday, and so um, she's doing well. She's home from the hospital now, and so we're just awaiting the other things that, that come from that. But, but I was able to reframe that, and that was, I believe, I never believed that. I mean, again, if I would have just, if that would have happened, and then I, had, and then I th- thought up this sermon, that'd be a whole different thing, but I think it's for a purpose that God gives us those kind of illustrations, and I know he's got some good things in mind for that. So again, we can control and we can choose how we frame a circumstance. We can do that. God's given us the ability to do that. So another big term that I want to introduce this morning is cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. And what that is, it's a mistake in reasoning based on personal preferences or beliefs. We think something to be true that, may, that might not necessarily be It's a predetermined idea based on how we frame something or what filters we see the situation through. It would be very easy. I was in the professional field for for 40-some years. It would be very easy. And there are even certain diagnoses that that sometimes I say, oh, that's really bad. No chance. Okay, so we can choose how we frame. We can say, no, God is good. He has a plan. We don't know what God's going to do through this, okay? So, again, uh, uh, cognitive bias. We all have these in our lives. We all have these, this uh, predetermined idea of how we come to a conclusion or how we evaluate uh, a, a circumstance or a person or a relationship. And a few examples just to maybe help you understand that because I, had, I have to think these things through myself is here's one from my own life, again, of cognitive bias. Um, growing up, I had what I considered the perfect childhood. I had a loving mother and father. They were very supportive of me. They were my biggest cheerleaders in sports. Just a gr- I just had a wonderful home life, okay? Um, a sibling in the same home has a completely different perspective. It was a horrible childhood. Parents bickering and, and just, it was just horrible. It was just horrible. Messed up their life forever. You know, just a horrible childhood. So the f- it was the same home. We lived in the same home. The facts were the same, but the perception was completely different. Set on predetermined factors, other things that took place might not necessarily be true. Part of the reason I think I had a perfect childhood is, is I was the perfect child, too. So that might have <laughs> had something to do with it. I mean, I lived to make my parents happy. That, so I, that's, that's somewhat of a joke, but, you know, but not, not necessarily. Um, <laughs> So uh, again, uh, here's another one that might be more, even more helpful. Um, in the business world, I worked in, in, in the corporate world for quite a few years, and, and I would sit down in a meeting, and I would be talking to two or three employees, 
And I would be talking about, hey, here's some issues that we have, and here's some challenges that we have, and, and here's what we want to do, and, and this, is where, this is where we want to go, and this is how we want to move this along, and, and, and we, wanna, we, want, we, we need to do this as a team. We need to work together. Rah, rah, rah. Go get them, okay? And one employee would come back and say, man, I really, I really appreciate that. That was so encouraging, and that really gave me some ideas on how to, how to improve my performance at work, and I, I really appreciate that. And another one would say, who do you think you are talking to me like that? Who, do, you, do you think I'm an idiot? What, what is your problem? You know, who, who made you the boss? It's like, well, somebody did, because I am. Uh, <laughs> it, but do you, do you see the facts were exactly the same? It was the same exact conversation to, to multiple people. And yet, because of filters involved, uh, they came away with a completely different idea, a completely different uh, end product, if you will. That's what cognitive bias is. And so, again, the facts aren't any different, but the filters are. And we frame a situational relationship based on personal experiences and predetermined preferences, many times ignoring the facts at hand. Another good example might be, and I saw this even this the last three or four days down in Phoenix in the hospital, is... Some people have the perception that if you have tattoos, you're a criminal, okay? I'll tell you, I have some tattoos, and I'm not a criminal, but I was in the hospital noticing that, that surgeons and, and nurses and anesthetists, they have, they've got tattoos, and I doubt if they're criminals, you know? But if you have a preconceived idea that if you have a tattoo, you, you're a criminal, or if you have a tattoo, you certainly couldn't be a pastor if you have a tattoo, you know, I mean, come on. Those are those filters that we have, and we apply them across the board a lot of times. We all, we all have those. And, and again, much of the time, we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we frame it. We can, we can control how we frame it. So let's look at, let's look at a, a passage out of Philippians chapter 1, where we see the Apostle Paul choose to frame a situation as good. Now, most people would see this as a horrible situation. Okay, but Paul is going to frame it as something good. It says this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, Paul had no doubt dreamed of going to Rome to, to proclaim the gospel. It was the, the very epicenter of the, of the world for all intents and purposes. But I doubt if his plan was to go there as a prisoner and then change. I don't think that was his plan. And, and it would have been really easy, it would have been really easy for Paul to say this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me sucks. It really stinks. And as a matter of fact, I'm quitting my small group I'm not signing up for Connect Life, and I'm never coming to church again. That's how he could have framed it. But no, he said, hey, hey, what's happened to me has been for the advancement of the gospel. It's exactly what God had in mind. I didn't plan it to be in chains, but guess what? Guess what? I've got a captive audience. I'm chained to guards. Um, I don't know what the labor unions did at the time, but I've got this guy chained to me for 12 hours, or maybe it's eight hours, maybe it's who knows what they did at that time. But I've got this captive audience that I can proclaim the gospel to. I can talk to them about Christ for the whole time they're chained to me. They can't go anywhere. I mean, if you came in here on Sunday mornings and we tied you to the chair so you had to listen, you'd be a captive audience, okay? But Paul had that, so it was a perfect setting. These were influential guys. They didn't let the lowest of lowest do that. These were influential 
influencers in the community. So and it goes on to say in, in verse 14, um, go ahead and bring that up. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So God was using Paul's imprisonment to encourage and embolden the family of Christ there in Rome to proclaim the gospel. The, the gospel was being, the kingdom was being advanced because of that. Again, he could have framed it. Paul could have framed it. You know, oh, woe is me. I got thrown in the slammer. They don't have kosher food. There's rats running everywhere. The guards stink because I don't think they had like Old Spice or anything at the time. He could have framed it that way, but he said, no. As a matter of fact, the, the, the people, the, the people of, of the body of Christ are able to boldly proclaim the gospel now because of what has happened to me. So he framed it in a completely different way, seeing God's plan in purpose through the circumstances, okay? The gospel was being proclaimed and the kingdom is being advanced. So let's look at three things that will help us in reframing, okay? The first one, if you're looking at your outline, is, is thank God for what didn't happen. Thank God for what didn't happen. And we have a verse out of 1 Thessalonians that says this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, it's very interesting to, to look at and to understand how perspective can change how you frame circumstances or relationships in your life. And another true story, I had a recent small group of the small group that I attend. I had my prayer request for my daughter. We'd, we'd got the diagnosis, but she hadn't had the surgery yet. And so as we were going around the room, I heard uh, a prayer request from a mother who was grieving over her daughter who had overdosed and died. And I heard another mother grieving over a son suffering with mental illness who'd been incarcerated. And I heard another uh, business leader in our group ask for prayer for a coworker who turned out would be just days away from dying of a terminal diagnosis that he hadn't even received the diagnosis yet, praying for that man's salvation. And listening to that, I was able to, to uh, reframe, and I was able to thank God, saying, God, thank you that that you were thinking ahead and that you gave us two kidneys because you can live quite well on one and my daughter will have to have a kidney removed but she's got two kidneys. Thank you for that and thank you for a quick, accurate diagnosis and thank you for a skilled team that's gonna be taking care of her. So I was able to reframe that circumstance and to actually give thanks in all circumstances uh, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. So being able to change and to be able to reframe challenges in our life and say, thank you, Lord, for what didn't happen. It can be stuff as simple, not as simple because it's not simple. You get in a car accident and you total your car and you don't have insurance. Well, you can thank God that you didn't get killed. I mean, there, there's, I, I used to make fun of my, I didn't really make fun fun, but I used to tease my mother about seeing the world through rose-colored glasses because she always saw the good and stuff. It's like, come on, be, a, be real, mom. It's not really like that as much, you know. Uh, but having a perfect kid, I guess that's why she would see that. In the, but but it, it's how you frame the circumstance, and it, it's being able to be thankful in all things. And, and uh, it's just a way of, of, of reframing, rethinking things through, of, of, 
You know, when you get that perspective, when you, sometimes the best thing I can do is to spend time with other people and hear about what's going on in their lives. And, and it makes me realize that, hey, even though I have challenges, you know, everybody does. And some of them even have challenges much greater than the ones I do. So thank God for what didn't happen. Number two in your outline is practice pre-framing. Practice pre-framing. Our thoughts or frames shape what we experience. That's the next uh, quote there. Our thoughts or frames shape what we experience. And then Romans 8, 5 says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So if we're controlled by God's Spirit, if God's Spirit, if we're in relationship with Christ and God's Spirit is in us and we're, we're submitting and surrendering to that and controlled by the Spirit, we should think about things that please the Spirit. We should think about the things that are in align with God's will and purposes. We should think about things that are uh, contained in God's Word, His truths. And so practicing pre-framing means we think about, some of the translations say set your mind upon, we think about or set our minds on those things that are pleasing to God. We choose, we choose to have filters and frames that are consistent with who God is and what his word tells us. We bring our thoughts into line with who he is and the things that he tells us in his words. Romans chapter 12 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. David quoted this scripture earlier. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, Allowing God to transform us by changing the way we think, okay? Pre-framing our thoughts and our actions to align, to come into alignment with God's will for us, uh, to see all of life's circumstances through his plan and purpose. And again, another scripture out of Colossians chapter 3 says, set your mind and keep focused habitually, keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. That focused habitually indicates to me that when we allow that to slip, or if it's not habitual, then we will allow other things to creep into our thoughts and actions. We'll frame things wrongly if we're not doing habitually. And I'll do a little more true confession here. At this happened, and this doesn't happen to me very many times in my life. It's only happened a handful of times, but it was probably three or four months after my son passed away, and I was in northern Wisconsin, up in a tree in a deer stand, deer hunting in northern Wisconsin, and I, I went to a point of this, of really dark thinking about what I had lost. My son was my hunting partner, and I went to a really dark place thinking, I'll never get to hunt with my son. I'm never going to experience him having children. I'm missing so much. Oh, woe is me. A dark and, a, and a, a, really an ugly place. And it was, it didn't seem like me. It wasn't, that, that's normally not how I think, but I was allowing this to happen. And again, just as quickly as those thoughts came into my mind, again, it, these things don't happen to me very often, so don't base your theology on this, but it was as if the very finger of God came down and lifted my chin and said, Doug, 
you need to have an eternal perspective. You need to thank me for what you had. You need to rejoice that Chris is with me, celebrating with me. You need to rejoice that, that you were able to be his father for 26 years. You need to think about the impact that his death has had in other people's lives since that happened. You need to have an eternal perspective. Okay? It took a little while. It took a few minutes to go from here to here. Okay? But again, reframing. So keep your mind focused habitually on the things above. Again, it's a process, and it's a process that requires consistency and intentionality as we really work to establish those new thought patterns um, and to replace the faulty filters that we all have, to replace those frames that we all have in our lives and to change those to ones that are consistent with God's will and purpose for our life. And how do we do that? What's the absolute best way to to practice reframing? Well, I'll just list a few things that are, that are key and critical. First and foremost, we do this by spending time in his word and prayer. We have to know who he is to be able to believe that he is good. So we spend time in his word learning about him and in prayer talking to him and listening for him. We spend time in community with other believers, whether that's your small group or whether that's a Sunday morning gathering, to get together with the, with the, with the body of Christ and to be encouraged and, and, and built up in that. We, we, we can reframe by, by serving him and by giving and, and anything that's consistent with his will that's already revealed. We know that he wants us to spend time in his word and we know that he wants us to pray and we know that he wants to spend time with other believers and we know without a shadow of a doubt that he wants us to serve and, and he wants us to give. So when we do those things, we're building up our reserve of what it takes to be able to reframe something and to have the correct thinking on things. Uh, transform thoughts and filters that will shape what we experience. So that's point two. Point three in your outline is we need to look for God's goodness. We need to look actively to pursue God's goodness. And I have a question for you. You don't have to answer it, even though once I give you the answer, it'll seem quite obvious to you. Why does a buzzard find dead things and a hummingbird find sweet things? Because that's what they're looking for. That's why they find that. That's what they're looking for. They were created for that. A buzzer was created to eat. Well, dead things are probably easier than live things. So, but that's what they were created for. Hummingbirds were created to find sweet things. Okay, And we were created to look for God's goodness. When Adam and Eve were sitting in the garden, that's all it was was goodness. Now, sin quickly disrupted that. But we're still created to look for God's goodness. And to have that, that inside sense that God is good, he's a good and a faithful and a loving father. We were created for that. So we need to look for God's goodness. Romans 8.28, and this is out of the amplified version, and I just like what it, what it adds to this. It says, and we know with great confidence that God who is deeply concerned about us. And you might be sitting here this morning and say, Why, what makes you believe that God is greatly concerned about us? And, that, and, that, uh, and how can you have great confidence? Well, I know that God is greatly and deeply concerned for us because he sent his son to die for us. He proved his concern for us in the gift of his son. And he causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God. Next slide. To those who are called according to his plan and purpose. 
So God is good. Now, important to understand from that scripture, that does not say that all things are good because all things aren't good. We live in a broken, sinful world and all things aren't good. I mean, is it good to be 41 and have two small children and have a, a, a malignant growth in your kidney? No, that's not good. That's not what this is saying. But God's saying that he can cause all things to work together for good, for his plans and purposes. And so the next quote says this, don't interpret God through your circumstances, but instead interpret your circumstances through the goodness of God. It's a switching of filters. Don't let this be what drives your idea of who God is, okay? But let God instead, his goodness, be seen in your life. And when we, when we think about God's goodness, I think the place that we always have to start, this is where, where, where it always has to come back down to. Because, again, we can't look at the circumstances. We can't even look at our, our back on our life and say, okay, well, let's see, God was good here, but not good here, and good here, but not good here. What we have to start with is this. God's goodness is illustrated and demonstrated in his redemption for us. That's where we have to start. If we consider the price that he paid for us, sending his only begotten son so that we could be reconciled to him. And when we think about how unworthy we are, we didn't deserve that. What we deserved was condemnation and judgment. That's what we deserve. But God chose to give us what we don't deserve, eternal life, deliverance from the bondage of sin and death, hope. Okay, that's what God gave us. And so... Uh, when we look at it from that filter, um, we can, with great confidence, knowing that God is good, we can change our filters and our thinking to know, again, that he is good, and we can frame anything and everything that comes into our life through that filter. We can see God through that filter. Um, I'm going to read a little, a little uh, stuff from the book of Job. And the reason that I, I chose to do that this morning is... is um, I've counseled with, with quite a few people in my life and, and had discussions with quite a few people in my life and I've yet to meet anybody who has won up Job as far as bad things that happen. Okay? Just about the worst case scenario going. I mean, some people get close, but, you know, but, but it, it's quite an extreme case in the book of Job. We see that, that uh, in one fell swoop, he lost his children, he lost his wealth, and he lost his health. But it tells us in the book of Job after hearing that, that he fell to the ground in worship. Now, you lost your entire family, you lost all your wealth, okay, you lost your health. It'd be really easy to frame that over here. That's dark. That's, that's heavy. But instead, Job framed it over here. He knew that God was good and that God was with him. And even though he didn't have any idea and probably never would have any idea why God allowed that to happen, he, know, he knew God had a good and perfect purpose in that. Late, just very shortly later after in the book, his closest person to him, uh, I won't say that it's his wife, but it was, encouraged him to curse God and die, to curse God and die. And, and Job's response was, shall we accept good from God and not the trouble? I mean, curse God and die. 
That's the filter. But no, Job says, no, should we accept the good things from God and, and, and not the other things that come into our life that we don't consider good? No, God is, is good and he's perfect. So Job's response was, was a radical response. And, and we see later in the book that, that he did complain and he did moan and groan a little bit about what was happening in his life. But ultimately, he accepted the fact that God has never changed, that God is good and that God was with Job through all of this and that he cared. He was convinced that God cared for him in that and that God was good. So he came and was able to frame everything that came into his life from the filter of God's goodness to him. And again, I don't stand up here this morning and pretend to say that, that this is easy because it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, I'll admit that. It, it's hard. It's difficult. But God has given us the ability. He's given us the, his Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and helps us in this process of being able to reframe things to be able to see his goodness at hand, okay? To be thankful for things that, that didn't happen. To change our thoughts to thoughts that are in alignment with who he is. I want to use as a close here um, the example of a jigsaw puzzle. Um, I hate jigsaw puzzles, but some of you might like jigsaw puzzles. Uh, I can do like 10, 12-piece puzzles, but beyond that, I'm, they're, they're, I'm not patient enough to do them. But when we, when we put a jigsaw puzzle together, what's the first things that you put together? The corners, the easy pieces, the big, bright colors, maybe they're easy to identify. We put all those together in that puzzle. And then we come across a piece that just doesn't fit and we look at that and we think, what the? You got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. This doesn't fit. This isn't part of my plan. This isn't part of my life. This is, I don't like this. This part doesn't fit. Sometimes we even try to shove it in a spot that it doesn't go and beat on it with our fist like that's going to make it fit in that place. But, but that's a difficult thing that we don't understand why, why that piece might come back. But you know what? Here's the beauty of it. God is the one that holds the box top. He can see the whole picture. He understands every single thing that needs to happen in our life to bring us to be the people that he wants us to be. He's the only one that knows that. We don't have the luxury in our lives of knowing the beginning and all the way to the end, but God does. And it's wonderful to get to a point and to grow towards a point of understanding that God is good, that he has good desires for us, that he wants good things for us. So, again, reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation, personal relationship. By changing its meaning, you can control what happens to you, but you can't control, but you can control how you frame it. Thank God for what didn't happen. Practice pre-framing and look for God's goodness. We're going to end with a prayer. Um, let me read it first, and then you guys, if you're comfortable, can stand up and read it with me. Dear God... Thank you for protecting us, for guiding us, and for drawing us closer to you, especially when we can't see it. You are so good to us and are worthy of all of our worship, affection, and time that we could give you. Holy Spirit, empower and lead us as we reframe our thinking to embrace and live out a life seeing your goodness and faithfulness at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? And if you would like to read this prayer along with me, let's go ahead and read it. Dear God, thank you for protecting us, for guiding us, and for drawing us closer to you, especially when we can't see it. 
You are so good to us and are worthy of all of our worship, affection, and time that we could give you. Holy Spirit, empower and lead us as we reframe our thinking to embrace and live out a life, seeing your goodness and faithfulness at work. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a prayer team over here to your right of the stage. If you have some prayer requests this morning, don't be afraid to stop over there and let those guys pray for you. And please come back next week to hear number four in the Mastermind series. Thank you.